This morning, guys, we were going to be starting a new series. We were uh, finishing up the, the series on Noah, the book, the book of Genesis. Hi. You thought, you thought you were going to get me again, but you didn't. The book of Genesis, but the story of Noah. And we just finished up that series. It's on our YouTube channel on, web, on the website. Go back and catch up if you didn't. I believe it's a timely word for what's happening in our nation and, and in the world right now. And we were going to be starting a new series this morning, but I, I really felt this week as I was praying, and I, and I already had my other sermon ready, but just over the weekend getting ready for Sunday and prayer, I, I really felt like I needed to address uh, what's going on with Israel right now. And uh, so we're going to talk about that this morning. It might be uh, hair longer than normal. All right, I'm going to try to condense it and fit it all in, but we've got a lot of scripture to read. So uh, everyone that's been paying attention, you, you're aware that on October the 7th, Hamas attacked Israel. And I want to address that this morning. If you guys have been coming to the church for any amount of time, you know that I don't generally get involved uh, in, in social things and, because I don't really feel like that should dictate the message that's coming out of the pulpit. We generally stay pretty focused on the Word of God because there's always going to be crazy things happening in the world. And if I try to speak to every crazy thing happening... Uh, that's all we would talk about. So we stay focused on the Word, and we're still going to do that this morning. <clears throat> and, and actually, the reason why we're talking about this is because of, of how significant it is in the Word of God. Now, I don't claim to be an expert uh, on these issues, uh, but I am a student of the Word of God. And I've known for years, as I, re as I read through the Bible, Jen and I have read through the Bible many times together, and most of the time we do it, we try to do it in a short span, like 90 days. And one of the things I noticed when I started doing that several years ago <clears throat> and taking note of was all the things in Scripture that pertain to Israel modern day that have actually not been fulfilled yet in Scripture. Prophecies about Israel, things that are going to happen to Israel and, and surrounding Israel that actually haven't happened yet. And so there's still a lot of prophecy We'd call it unfulfilled prophecy. Um, and when the Bible, how many of you know when the Bible gives a prophetic word, it's time for us to pay attention because there, it, the Bible's pretty much batting a thousand. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no mistakes, never missed. So there's a lot of prophecies that haven't come to pass, and a lot of them have to do with Israel. So we're going to look at some of those this morning. Now, I also want to say... Uh, so this is kind of my philosophy and idea when it comes to end times things. A lot of times you listen to end times people talk, uh, and they become very, very matter of fact. You know, I would say even kind of extravagantly matter of fact about how things are going to happen and what, they're, what, what things are going to look like, and which is why you get a lot of people who are extravagantly wrong as well, because they make these crazy predictions about things, uh, and then they get very, very wrong as well. Uh, I think there was a book at one time, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. I'd like to give, you know, 23 reasons why you're a, 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 you're a little bit loopy and nutty. And, you know, so I don't want to hear from that. But the Word of God tells us that, um, you know, no one, no one knows the day or the hour. And by the way, most of these things in Scripture, they're... Uh, I don't believe anybody can be that matter of fact because they're just not written that clear. They're written in prophetic language. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot. But, but basically, there's enough information there that when it starts happening, you can connect the dots. But I don't know that anybody 
on, on this side is going to go, oh, this is exactly how everything's going to happen and just kind of nail it, nail it right on the head. Um, I don't, and most of the time people do speak that boldly, they end up being very, very wrong, okay? So that's not what we're going to do today. I want you to hold your idea about end times things very loosely, okay? Don't, don't have it with a closed fist. We're going to have some general ideas about what's going to happen, but you don't need to be so arrogant. No one needs to be so arrogant and bold to go, well, this is how it's going to happen. Cause, and by the way, uh, do not come up to me after this sermon if you consider yourself an end time expert and, and correct something that I've said. I don't want to hear it because I don't believe you're right in the first place. All right. So that's just, I, I get, I don't, I don't want none of that. Okay. Uh, don't send me any emails. I won't read them. I'm just going to hit delete. So, um, and so, so my point is, we should approach this with humility, right? We, no one needs to have that, that position that it's just, you, you got it all figured out. I think the point, of the, the point of Scripture, though, and prophecy on these things, the main focus is so that you will have an idea of what's coming so that you can prepare your heart. That's the whole reason. Prepare your heart and, and adapt your life so that you can be ready for whatever comes, Okay. So, what do you need to know about Israel? A lot of people don't even understand why Israel is important today. A lot of Christians, they don't understand it. They're like, well, yeah, that, that was Israel. Then the church kind of replaced Israel, you know, and we're the people living for God now, and they're, they're, they've been kind of kicked out, and they're not living for God or following God, so why do they matter? You know, it really only matters, it only really matters who's following Jesus, and all of that is true to a degree, except when it comes to the people of Israel. The people of Israel have a very special relationship with God, and you're going to see that this morning uh, from Scripture. Now, I understand they've been knuckleheaded, but they've been knuckleheaded throughout the whole Bible. They, they always rebelled against God and turned away from God. But here's the, here's the thing you have to understand about God. If you want to really know your God, here's the first thing you need to know about God. He is a covenant-keeping God to his own detriment. He is a covenant-keeping God. Matter of fact, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm convinced that God's loyalty towards Israel has a huge amount to do with his loyalty to one single man, which was Abraham. That's how committed God is because of the covenant that he made with Abraham telling him that what his descendants would be like and how they would be multiplied and how they would rule and reign. He made that promise to Abraham and he has continued to keep that promise. <clears throat> when God speaks, he does not go back on his word. He is a covenant keeping God. Let me read to you this Jeremiah 31:35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order what order? Sun, moon, stars, light, all the things that we, we built our entire science and physics around. He says, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is, until you see the, the physics and the natural realm start falling apart, 
Israel is going to be a nation before me. It doesn't matter who rises against them. And listen, it doesn't matter what the political opinions are. And, and don't take this as a political thing. I hope, you, I hope you understand that. I'm not, from a political standpoint, I'm not for or against that. It, that makes me no difference. But you want to be on the side God is on. And don't, listen, don't get caught up. Because there's a lot of that going on. There's marches here, protests there, mark that people, and people, well, what about this side? And they analyze it and they go through all that. Let me just back up and tell you this. When, when Israel was coming into the promised land that God had gave them, there were a lot of people in that land first that had to move out. Canaanites, people in Jericho, Jebusites, you could, all the ites, they were all there. And if we'd been modern day, yeah, there'd have been pundits just the same going, oh, well, this, they're coming in and this isn't their land. Look. God's the one that gave it to him. He said, take it, it's yours. And he's the one that said the others are moving out. That's his business. And your opinion don't matter one way or my opinion don't matter one way about it. God, if God said, this is your land and this is how it's going to be, you, you don't have a say about it. You can analyze it and you can talk hot air out of your mouth all you want and, and write books and websites and blogs and do YouTube videos and about why this group is wrong and that group's right. Listen, I just want to know what God thinks. And, and I'll just say, I, I, I don't have a problem admitting, I don't have an, enough information to know who ought to be there, who not. I'm going to leave that up to God. And I'm going to tell you this morning what God says about it. Because he specifically has things in the scripture about it. The other thing you need to know about Israel is that the Bible, and, and as a result, your faith, the Bible is in large part just a story of the Jewish people. From beginning to end. Now, there's a sliver in there where we get included. Praise God, the Gentiles get included. But 75% of your Bible is Old Testament, and all of it is the story of the Jewish people. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Jesus Christ kept the sacrifices. Jesus Christ obeyed the law. The Bible, Jesus Christ did not come away to do, do away with the law. He said, I came to fulfill it. And then go read the book of Revelation. It ends centered around the Jewish people. So the Bible is very, it's really just a story of the Jewish people. Even in the New Testament, half the epistles are written to Jewish people, Paul writing to. So praise God, we got included as Gentiles, but the Jewish people hold a special place in God's eyes and heart and in the Bible in general. The other reason that this is important is because the end time events and end time prophecies in a lot of ways center around Israel and some of the key markers that we are supposed to be looking for are going to take place concerning Israel. And so as a result of that, we have to be paying attention to what happens with Israel. You're going to see that as we go on this morning. But the reason that we should as Christians be paying attention to what's happening with Israel is because Jesus told us in the scripture a lot of things that were going to happen in the end times. And there are some, there are some big clear markers that are going to happen, some undeni undeniable things that are going to happen, and some of them have to do with Israel. And when we see them, the Bible tells us we're supposed to pay attention because your redemption is drawing near. All right? So let's, let's get into this. Let's look at some of this. I want to talk to you about a timeline of events that we have seen with Israel and are going to see with Israel according to Scripture. Now, let me... I need to back up and clarify this. I am not in any way saying that what is happening with Israel right now is a fulfillment of prophecy or is even anything significant from a biblical standpoint. I understand they've had wars going on forever. 
All right? I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when something does start to happen because there are going to be end time signs to do with Israel, we should at least pay attention. It doesn't, we don't want to jump to conclusions, and I'd be the last one to do that, by the way. We don't want to jump to conclusions and go, oh, this is a fulfillment of that passage. Oh, this is happening, and this is Gog, and this is Magog, and this is... Our, okay, you're going to get weird real fast. Be careful. All I'm saying is just pay attention. When you see things moving on that stage and at that level, you want to know what the Word of God says about it so you can compare and go, hmm, is this what God was talking about? And then you just watch, right? You, you can't do anything to make it happen or not happen. You can pray. That's what the Bible tells you to do, pray. <laughs> but it's happening one way or the other because let me just tell you, God's end time so timeline is sovereign. It is happening. And it doesn't matter what political power tries to stop it. It doesn't matter what alliance tries to stop it. I don't care if you get 45 nations gathered around in accord. Nobody's doing one thing that God didn't decree from the beginning of time. That's how things have been set in order and set in motion. So let's talk about the timeline. The first thing that we know in Scripture prophetically, which is pretty cool because this was fulfilled in some of your lifetime, the first thing we know from Scripture prophetically, the, the Bible prophesied this thousands of years ago, again, it's batting a thousand, never missed, is that Israel would be regathered to her homeland. Now, if you, if you know the story of the Bible, you know that God brought the children, the short version, God brought the children of Israel into the promised land, right? Like I said, all the other inhabitants pushed out. Israel, he, they, a land flowing with milk and honey. Through their rebellion, okay, it was a long, I'm, I'm shortening it a lot. Through their rebellion and disobedience and chances to repent, they lost the promised land. The temple was destroyed. The walls were broke down, the cities were destroyed, Babylon took over, and Israel was booted out, and they were dispersed all over, and from that time <clears throat> until recently, they were all over the place, dispersed all over, and, and that, was, that was part of, their, uh, part of the judgment for God. Is they, they, he gave them the promised land, and he warned them for hundreds, even thousands of years, that they were going to lose the promised land if they didn't obey. They didn't, they lost the promised land. But, that's not the end of the story. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Look closely at this. Write these scriptures down, please. Go, go look at them for yourself. We're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. I, I encourage you to be a student of the word. Don't take my word for it. Go read what your Bible says. Amos 9, 11. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains will drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. This is how you can know this is a prophetic event that hadn't happened yet when Amos wrote it, because they were uprooted until 1948, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. But the time he's talking about now 
He says, I will plant them in their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. This was a prophetic event that they would be gathered back to their land, back to the promised land, never to be uprooted again. So as we watch things, I watch this passage and I will confidently say that Israel will never be uprooted again. So you can pick sides if you want to. You can get caught up in that. Hey, you, you, you know, I, and, I, and I, I wish some of, the, some of the people would save a lot of time and money and lives if they would just read this and know you're fighting a losing battle. It ain't going to happen. They will never again be uprooted. Isaiah 11, 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath. And from the coastlands of the sea, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Ezekiel 36, 8. But you, O mountain of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The cities shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times, and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, I gave you three instances with specific prophecy saying that Israel would come back to their land, the cities would be rebuilt, and they would be a nation again, never to be uprooted. So that happened in 1948. If you know the, the history of Israel, we're not going to get into the history of it. I mainly just want to show you from the Word of God. So that's the timeline, and the first piece has already happened. It happened roughly, what, 70 years ago, 75 years ago. It's already happened, and there's yet several things that will happen that you may see in your lifetime. The next part of the timeline is Israel will be attacked. Now, it won't be, I don't believe it'll be a little skirmish, a little bombing, a little this or that. It's going to be a, a large attack. And we see this, we don't, we don't have time to read it all this morning. It would take a long time, but I'll give you the scriptures. Ezekiel uh, chapter 37, 38, and 39 you can read about this, this war and what it, what it will be like. It has not happened yet, okay? The things that you read about here have not happened. And any, any Bible scholar and student of history that reads this will tell you this, is, this has not been fulfilled. Ezekiel 38.1, I'm going to read you several parts of it just to give you the, the idea. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now this was not, Gog and Magog are not clearly identified in Scripture. Who they are. Even when this was written, there were not nations that were named that. It's, it's most closely identified with uh, Iran, Turkey, and parts of Russia. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's who they are in the, in the prophetic fulfillment. For example, in the book of Revelation, it talks a lot about Babylon. But Babylon is a symbol 
of, of another great nation that was like Babylon. It doesn't mean that Babylon is going to rise again at the end times, but the spirit of Babylon, if you will, was on this nation. Or, or in the book of Revelation where it talks about the spirit of Jezebel and, and Jezebel being uh, a spirit that's operating in the end time. It doesn't literally mean Queen Jezebel from the Old Testament is doing it. It's saying this person's operating like her. So we don't really know who these nations are. There, there's a lot of evidence that Iran is part of it. There's a lot of evidence that Russia is part of it. But I would, that's one of those things I would hold loosely. I, don't, I mean, the Bible doesn't say clearly who those nations are, and that's really not the point. Verse 3, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaw, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, which is modern-day Iran, Cush and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togamah from the uttermost parts of the north, will all his hordes, many people, are with you. Now if you read this, what you find out is that God is involved in this. Notice it said that he put hooks in their mouth, dragging them this way because he has a purpose. <clears throat> he has a purpose. Putting hooks in their jaw and dragging them insinuates to me they almost don't want to do it. There are people that almost don't want to get involved, but they're going to be involved because God's influence on it. Verse 7. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered in the latter years. It's talking about the end times. The Bible uses this language throughout the Bible to tell us about things that are going to happen in the end times. It's called the last days, the end times, latter days. It says it right here. In the latter days you will go against the land that is restored from war. That's Israel being reassembled. You will go against the land that has been restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many people with you. Can you see why Christian people's ears perk up if they know their Bible when they see somebody gathering around Israel? I mean, this may be some of the clearest prophetic language in the entire Bible. That's now the fourth time that we had a prophecy that Israel would be regathered to her land. And when she is, eventually, that these armies will surround her to destroy her and attack her. Again, not saying that's what we're seeing now. We don't know. But we pay attention when it happens. Verse 16. It even tells the end of the battle. You could know. You don't have to speculate. Verse 16. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days, I will bring you against my land. Look, he tells why. That the nations may know me. When through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. In other words, when this happens, God tells us his purpose. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like what happened in Egypt. This, this sounds like when, when Israel was enslaved to Egypt and God said, I will do these things, I will, I will, I will destroy Egypt and Pharaoh, Why? so that the people may know me, that the nations may know me. What is it going to take 
for people to know that there is a living God? What is it going to take? What, what, what's going to happen that will cause people to go, wow, there is a God? That must be a, this must be a big moment. It's not something small. Because he tells us the purpose. And God will fulfill his purpose. He said, this is happening, and I bring you out against Israel for this purpose, that the nations may know me when, O Gog, through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So the world will see God act on behalf of Israel. Verse 17, thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servant, the prophet of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. You see, what anybody doesn't know that's coming against Israel is, it's like, oh, well, it's just a little nation. And oh, it's this ethnic group, that. Yet you don't realize that you're coming against God. Yeah, you're coming against the people, but look at how God sees it. How many of you know it's crucial that your thinking as a believer be aligned with how God thinks? Please do not get caught up in the thinking of this world. Please do not let news and social media and, and Facebook and YouTube dictate the way that you see things, whether that be Israel or, or social issues or moral issues. Please align your thinking with the Word of God, because if not, you're going to be deceived. The Word of God lays out what is happening here, and we would be wise to adopt that perspective on things. Look at what he says. On that day, my wrath, this is verse 18, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground, all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Magog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence. And bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes, and many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Again, that sounds like Egypt to me. You know, we get used to living in a time where we don't really see God act. Not like that. But you know, there were people alive in Noah's day that saw God act. There were people alive during Moses' day that saw what it looks like when God acts. And when God determines that he wants to make himself known, the whole world will see it. And, and I'm reading this thinking, boy, you know, I, I leave some room for, hey, this could be symbolic. It, it may not mean there's actual hailstones and fire. I, I don't know. I leave room for that. But I also leave room for maybe not. Just because I've seen God operate like, not seen, read about how God had operated like this in the past. 
And I, for one, not, not looking for violence to be, you know, not looking for punishment, judgment. That's not my department. Hey, my job's to pray and not wish judgment on anybody. I, that's God's part. I, he can do what he wants to do. But I, for one, am excited about seeing God act. Because we live in a world where a lot of people have gotten used to cursing God's name and spitting in his face. But there's going to be a day where God acts. And he said, I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. What's that going to take for many nations, wow, to open their eyes and say, that couldn't have been anything but God. That couldn't have been anything but God. To act in a way that leaves no room for, oh, that was just a normal occurrence or that was just a fluke that they pulled out of that one. To leave many nations going, to leave many nations having witnessed, in his words, the greatness and holiness of God. Now the third thing that is going to happen, and again, I don't know, uh, these things may not be in exact order because this isn't completely clear from Scripture what order these things are going to happen in. I'm kind of giving them to you in the order that I think they're going to happen, but I, 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 again, I'm not sure on that. The Bible doesn't just lay it out that neatly to know. But in here somewhere, could be before that war or after, a third temple is going to be built. Israel will build a third temple. Now that seems very impossible right now. If you know about the conditions in the nation of Israel, uh, that seems very impossible that that could happen. A lot of things would have to change in order for that to occur. But the scripture tells us that the Jews will build a third temple and that the, uh, the daily sacrifices will be reinstated. This is found in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. It's eight chapters detailing and describing what that temple will look like and it doesn't match any temple that's ever been built by Israel because every temple that's been built is also laid out in detail in scripture what it was like. And the one laid out in Ezekiel it's never been built. Okay? So God gives Ezekiel a vision in Ezekiel 40 through 48. He lays out this temple. He describes it in great detail like he did with the original temple, like he did with the tabernacle, like he did with the ark. A lot of things he gives that great detail. He lays it out over eight chapters, and this temple has yet to be rebuilt. The temple ends up being one of the clearest signs of the coming of the Lord, and I'll, and I'll show you uh, that from scripture because the next thing that happens uh, I shouldn't say next but I think I believe it would be in the timeline next is that there will be a treaty made between Israel and the Antichrist this will happen this is uh, described in multiple places but the clearest place is in Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 uh, if you read this part of the book of Daniel, it's all prophetic. It's all about the end times. None of it's happened yet. It's all prophecy about the end times. Daniel 9.27. Been, he's been talking about the Antichrist and he says, He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Those would be happening in the temple. Now listen closely because Jesus references this point in Matthew 24, which we're going to read in a moment. He says, And on the wing of abominations 
shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. It's talking about the Antichrist. And you're going to see from Scripture how we know that in just a moment. One of the, thing, one of the principles of Bible interpretation. Always use the clear to interpret the unclear. Okay, never, ne I never like when people build uh, Bible doctrine and theology based on highly prophetic, highly symbolic language. Many, many times in Scripture when you get highly prophetic, symbolic language, it will be interpreted for you somewhere else in Scripture in a really clear uh, place. And, and we're going to see that in just a moment. The reason we know why what Daniel... The reason we know what Daniel's talking about here is because Jesus and Paul interpret it for us. So I want to read it to you one more time so when you, when you see their interpretation, you'll, you'll recognize it. Daniel said, this is talking about the Antichrist, He shall make a strong covenant with Israel or with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, when it says half a week, most scholars believe it's talking about seven years. So it's, it's talking about a week like the seven days, but it's, it's symbolic of seven years. So it would be three and a half years. I don't want to get too bogged down on all this. I, I don't want to get, but it, most people believe it's three and a half years into the tribulation that this event will happen where the Antichrist uh, commits what the Bible calls the abomination of desolation. On the wing of abomination, still in Daniel, on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. In other places in Scripture, it calls this the abomination of desolation until the end is poured out on the desolator. That's the Antichrist. Jesus references this, Matthew 24, 15. The whole chapter of Matthew 24, Jesus is pro prophesying in very clear terms about, is no symbolic language. It's very clear. Jesus, go read the whole thing, Matthew 24. He lays out all the things that are going to happen before his return. And in, and in Matthew 24, 15, he says, So when you see, everybody say see. see. Because you're going to see it. If you're on the earth, you're going to see this when this happens. It's going to make headline news. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, so he's referencing what I just read you. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. Again, another clue what's happening there. The Antichrist will be standing in the holy place. I'm going to confirm this for you in just a moment. He will be standing in the holy place. He says, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Why? Because it's all about to hit the fan now. Everything's going down. This is the moment when you see the Antichrist stand in the temple and commit the abomination of desolation. He said, those who are in Judea, there's nothing you can do but run. It, it's, time, it's time to get out of there as quickly as possible. Matter of fact, verse 21, Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Now, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 3, this is where Paul interprets for us what the abomination of desolation actually is. He's been talking to the Thessalonians about these things. And he says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, talking about the return of Christ, the second coming, that day will not come. Unless 
The rebellion comes first. That's the apostasy, great falling away. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. That is the Antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. So the Antichrist, Paul interprets for us what the abomination of desolation actually is. We kind of already knew, we kind of already had the clues because he says he's going to stand in the temple. We just didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But he tells us what the abomination is. He's, the Antichrist stands in the temple and declares himself to be God. And that is an abomination to God, but it's an abomination that leads to complete desolation and destruction of Israel. And we're going to see that in Luke chapter 21. So we're going through the timeline. Israel's going to be regathered. There's going to be a war, uh, a prophesied war from the Bible. There, at some point, there will be a building of the third temple. How do we know that? Well, the Antichrist has to have a temple to stand in, right? <laughs> He says he's going to stand in the temple, plus we get the description of it in Ezekiel 40 through 48. At some point, uh, of course, they won't know he's the Antichrist, but at that point they'll make it. And by the way, I don't know that anyone will know that he's the Antichrist until this moment. I think there'll be a lot of speculation. I think there'll be a lot of clues. But it's the moment that he stands in the temple and proclaims himself to be God that we can go, okay, I had my suspicions, but I know for sure this is the Antichrist. We get a lot more information about the Antichrist in the book of Revelation, right? His, the number of his name will be 666. All that will make sense when it's happening. We don't, we don't know now. Man, I feel like I'm talking fast this morning. Like out of breath. I'm like starting to sweat up here. I need one of those little hankies, you know, just wipe yourself. Okay. Um... So the treaty will be made, they'll trust him, but then likely, again, not, not, not holding this real tight, but three and a half years into the tribulation, it seems that that will be when he breaks his covenant with Israel and he commits the abomination of desolation. And when that happens, Israel will be persecuted like we've never seen. And the nation, the, 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 the people and the nation will be virtually destroyed. Luke chapter 21, verse 20, Jesus describes this. Now, it's prophetic, but it's not written in prophetic language, meaning it's not any symbolism. It's just straightforward, plain language telling us what's going to happen. Luke 21, 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that has been written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. That means by non-Jews. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I want to read the next few verses because I believe he's telling us these things in order of how they're going to happen. This is at the very end. All right, when you see these things happening, it's about to wrap up. 
Verse 25, and, then, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Praise God. So this is the basic timeline that we see in Scripture. Uh, I'm not going to speculate much beyond that. I read a huge amount of Scripture to you this morning, and that's, that's mostly just what I'm giving you is, is putting the Scripture together in a coherent way and order for you to see what's happening. I, I don't really have to add a lot to it because it pretty much just tells us what's going to happen. But this is why when things start happening in Israel... We pay attention, okay? The Christian people should be praying for Israel. We, we should be thinking correctly about Israel. We should be believing God for it. And most importantly, we should be preparing our own hearts and lives as we, think, we see pieces start to move in that part of the world and, and in that area because it could be fulfillment of some of these things. I have no idea if it is. There's nothing happening right now that would matter-of-factly say one way or the other, but we have to watch and we have to pay attention because notice Jesus' words. He says, now, when you see these things begin to take place, you have a response. See, he said, when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up. Everybody say, straighten up. Straighten up. How many know a lot of the church needs to straighten up? A lot of straightening up that needs to happen. A lot of straightening up that needs to happen in the body of Christ. And this is what he said. When you see these things happen, he really what he's saying is this is your last chance. You better straighten up because it's, it's about to get real. Straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That means the return of Jesus Christ is right around the corner when you see these things begin to happen. Now, you may be thinking, well... Yeah, you read a lot of stuff this morning, though, that hasn't happened, like the temple. And so we can kind of relax and chill. Well, there, there may be some truth in that, that a lot of things still need to happen. But don't, don't also don't forget how quickly some of these things can happen. They can happen a lot faster. God, God is really good at that. And it doesn't take long for some of these things to fall in place a lot quicker than you think. It can happen very, very quickly, which is why... I think Jesus, when he gave a lot of parables about the end time, he warned us that there'd be people who were sleeping. There'd be people asleep, not, not awake. When he, when he talked about Noah, he said, oh, they're going to be drinking, marrying, giving marriage. Life's going to be going on as usual until the day that the flood comes. This is why the Bible, all throughout the Bible, we're told, live ready, live waiting, live expecting, stay sober, stay vigilant. Don't be lulled to sleep by the spirit of this world. Don't be lulled to sleep by the sin, the wickedness, the perversion, the deception that is settling on this planet. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And listen, the, the deception that you're seeing, I, I truly believe this from the spirit of God. That the deception that you're seeing in our world right now on the simplest, most basic issues... The deception that you're seeing is, is preparing and carving the path for the deception that's going to take place concerning the Antichrist. Because there will be a huge majority 
of the world that sides with the Antichrist. It's already happening now. Listen, when you see people protesting against Israel, standing against Israel, even though this terrorist group attacked them and beheading people and women and children, and they're protesting in their favor. They're protesting in their favor. Listen, you're on the wrong side. I'm sorry, there are sides and you're on the wrong side. And that's going to happen when it comes to the Antichrist. There's going to be good, well-meaning people that are asleep. They're out of tune. They're out of touch. And it's going to be no different than, it will feel no different than this. They'll go, no, we support this. We're protesting for this. We think Israel's wrong. Listen, you're, you're gonna, if you don't watch it, <laughs> you're going to support the Antichrist. You think when the Antichrist comes that it's just going to be so obvious and plain and, and it's going to be just, he's going to have horns or something like that? It's just going to be so easy? It, no, there's a huge group of people Go read about it in Revelation. There is an enormous group of people that will support and follow the Antichrist. Many church people will. You say, how do you know that? Because I see them on the wrong side now. And it's not even deceptive now. It's not even confusing now. It's clear. And still, many church people that are half in, half out, lukewarm, out of touch, they are support, they're on the wrong side of many issues that ought to be plain and clear and obvious from the Word of God. They're on the wrong side. And you think all of a sudden when the Antichrist comes and it's the most deceiving time that's ever been on the face of this earth, that all of a sudden you're going to see clearly? No, that's not going to happen. So... We're in a very confusing time, and it's not that the issues are confusing, it's that there's a spirit of deception on this world, and it's getting darker and darker, and it's getting harder and harder to see clearly because of the fog of deception that is on this planet. And I see people getting deceived, even Christian people, on the most obvious things like sexuality, gender, marriage, abortion, politics, Things that ought to be very clear if you follow God and follow His Word ought to be very clear on the wrong side of those issues. And all I'm saying is this. It's a precursor of what's going to happen in the end times. There are many Christians that are going to be on the wrong side of these issues because they were half in, they were playing church, and they didn't do what Jesus said here. They didn't straighten up and raise their head to be sober and vigilant and pay attention. If you're going to stand in these days, and I, I don't know if that's going to be us, I don't know if that's going to be after us, I don't know. But I, I'm ready, I'm getting ready either way. And I encourage you to do the same thing. I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime, but here's what I can tell you. The Word of God is my anchor. I don't care, no matter what, the Word of God is my anchor. And I'm not worried about what popular opinion is or whose side is this. I just want to know what does the Bible say. I'm not even interested in getting in all of those arguments and things like that. I just want to know what does the Word of God say, and I'm holding to that. And if God is for Israel, then I'm for Israel. And, and, and if there's judgment coming, hey, I, I'm not for judgment. I'm just for God. I'm for whatever He wants to do. Because he's a lot smarter than me. And these things have been going on a lot longer than any of us. This is thousands of years of history here. And it's our job to be in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And to prepare our hearts for what's coming on this, on this earth. Now, I definitely leave room for, yeah, none of this may happen in our time. But I can tell you, just looking at the time that we're in now, you need the fire of God. 
just, just the time that we're living in now, our children need to be being raised in homes where God is at the center, the Word is at the center because they're facing challenges like they've never faced before, like no generation has ever faced before. And it is, it is time for us as believers to rise up and align our lives, our hearts, and every part of ourselves with God and with His Word and to decide who we stand with and who we stand for. I believe in the last days and even in the times that we're in now that there are going to be churches that distinguish themselves by remaining faithful to God's Word even when others are making compromise and wishy-washy and, and compromising on this and compromising on that and going with the flow of culture and popularity. You're seeing the craziest things now with churches and denominations. But look, we have an opportunity as a true church of God to distinguish ourselves as a people that follow God faithfully and follow His Word and as a result to be a light to the world. A light to the world. Salt of the earth. We have that opportunity. Amen? Stand on your feet with me this morning. Now you may say, well, what can I do? Well, I already told you one thing is prepare. Prepare your hearts. Develop your prayer life. Go, go deep into communion and devotion with the Lord. Okay? The other thing the Bible tells us to do is pray. Psalm 122 tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. To pray. And we're going to do that this morning. We're going to take just a moment to pray. And we're, going to, we're just going to lift these things up to God. Let's join our faith together.